The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Do you ever wonder why some people and some companies are so much further along and so much better at what they do than everybody else? It comes down to leadership. And to talk about that with us, Dr. Rick Goodman. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Joel. Hey, well, thanks for uh, being here. And listen, it's, it's lucky to have you because you travel internationally so much uh, that to, get, you know, to even get any time on your calendar, is, uh, it surprises me. You know, it's funny. I don't realize how much I travel, but this year was uh, New Zealand and Bangkok and Thailand and Cambodia and Hong Kong and Singapore and Manila twice. And so it has been a lot. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there that need leadership lessons and people looking for solutions and results. So are you, are you, mostly, uh, are you mostly speaking and talking and uh, teaching other people concepts or what are you mostly out there doing? Well, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm doing keynote speeches. I'm uh, doing executive coaching with CEOs of companies and working with their management teams to also develop the concept of transformational leadership, developing other leaders as opposed to followers in the company. All right. So let's let's jump in. You you already used the word transformational leadership, uh, which I, I guess comes out of your book, right? You just came out with a new book. Yeah, my new book's coming out in April, Solutions-Oriented Leader, Your Comprehensive Guide to Achieve World-Class Results. Okay. So what is, what, is, uh, you know, what is the word transformational leadership? What does it mean? What's it about? Well, transformational leadership really started in the 1940s, um, and one of the biographers of, uh, of uh, Franklin Roosevelt had witnessed it. And what it is is where leaders uh, can really set the vision and tone, and they get people behind them uh, that are involved in the vision. And once they get that, it's transformational. And you, all of a sudden you could start a, a, you know, a whole revolution, so to speak. And it's what kind of got us, you know, to get through in the war when we were coming out of the depression and Roosevelt uh, uh, did it. Uh, Ronald Reagan did it. Clinton did it. Um, and you could see it in the way they set up their followers where people got behind their message and then everybody wanted to start leading also. Uh, and, and being to the drum. And that's really what uh, a leader can do. And I've seen it done with championship sports teams do it. I've seen it done with all branches of the armed forces. Um, and all you have to do is apply the lesson to your, your job, your business, your, your environment, and you can do the same thing. How, how closely is what we, what we do in war to what we do in business? I mean, is there really, 
that much correlation? I, I think there's a lot of correlation because, you know, in war, in sports, it's about planning, it's about strategy, and it's about, you know, marking your key performance indicators. Uh, when I worked with the St. Louis Rams back in 95 to 2000, one of the things that they had at Rams Park was they had a list of all their goals inside of the training room. So they had everything uh, in there from um, giveaways, takeaways, time of possession, and it was broken down into games and then the first quarter season, second quarter, first half, uh, third quarter, and, and the whole year. So they were constantly tracking their numbers because we all know it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish. Well, so who was, who was tracking? I mean, were the players expected to study those stats as well as the coaches? Oh, sure. It was right in front of them every single day. So, you know, the coaches were putting it up there. You talk about it in the meetings. It's, it's one of the things that you talk about at the strategy of a game. You know, the first uh, 16 to 18 plays of every game are scripted. Uh, so they know exactly what they're going to do, and then they adapt to the changing situations. A lot like if you're kicking off a new product in the business, you kind of know what you want to do. You've scripted the opening, and then you're going to adapt to market conditions. If it's going well, you might want to do more programs or spend more money on advertising. So it's kind of the same concept. I always love talking to guys who come from the world of professional sports because I think that sports is just the greatest analogy or metaphor for what happens in life and business. And so the background that you have, having been around uh, the highest level of athletes, uh, and you were a chiropractor at that time, right? You were, you were doing medical work for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, chiropractor and acupuncturist. Okay, so, uh, but, you know, but you were surrounded by these people keeping these finely tuned machines at the highest level that they could operate at, right? That's, that's what you did in sports, and that's sort of what you do now in business as a coach, right? Sure. And you're working on their brains and their bodies. So it's, you know, it's not just the physical, a lot of it's the mental, you know, and especially I remember when Mike Jones came into my office after Trent Green went down and said, you know, we're done, we're going to lose. And, you know, I kind of flipped out on him and said, if you're not going to be positive, you can't be in my office. Uh, if you can't, then you must. If you must, then you will. Um, because, you know, it's a healing environment, and I didn't want the negativity. And who knew that he was going to make the winning tackle in the Super Bowl, one of the most famous plays in all history, and be in the back of my first book, Living a Championship Life, a Game Plan for Success. So, you know, I think things happen. And uh, the more that you focus on other people um, and helping them to achieve their goals and objectives, uh, the more it comes back to you. After all, you know, I always say that um, I was doing a job with McDonnell Douglas and Boeing going through a merger with them a number of years ago, and a lot of supervisors, they would use tribal knowledge, I would call it, which was ways they could do work, and, and they wouldn't share that. And then there would be an opportunity, and they'd say, you know, I think I, I want to be that supervisor. I'd like to have that position. And I'd say, well, we'd love to give you that opportunity, but you're the only person who knows how to do this job. And what they did by not sharing the information was prevent themselves from being upwardly mobile. Because the more information they have and the more knowledge they have, the more valuable they are. Otherwise, you buttonhole yourself in a position. That's, so, a, that's an interesting perspective because a lot of people do that exact little trick and they do it because they think it makes them more important. But what you're saying is that rather than be more important, it would be more pigeonholed. Sure, because they're not going to be able to move up the ladder. They're not going to have the diversification that people need. And, and, you know, in society today, the people that have multiple skills are the people that are going to be more positioned and more stable uh, to be hired into the future. I sort of thought that we're moving in the direction of being more specialized. You don't think so? 
Well, I think there's specialties in certain areas, but again, I think, you know, you've got to have a knowledge. If you're starting a business, you don't, you're not, you can't just be an entrepreneur, but you have to have some knowledge of business and finances and books like you do. You know, otherwise you're not going to understand, you know, remember back in the day, my mom and my aunt started a business and it went from once was called Tapioca, one little store up to a huge store on Park Avenue and they never made a dollar. They had no idea about overhead or how to buy. The money just kept moving around and they had a great time. And there's a lot of businesses out there, as you know, that are just like that. Um, and there's a lot of people just like that. When we see, you know, work stoppages here with the government, that people are living paycheck to paycheck. And that is the norm in most of the company. So yeah. if you are diversified now, um, the people, unfortunately, who've had this situation might be able to fall back on a, an ulterior business or have other avenues and opportunities. Let's go back uh, to the, uh, the mental game that you were talking about before, how uh, you got to be positive and how in sports there's just, there's so much mental training. I, I, I kind of doubt that there's very much mental training happening in business. I just, you know, I, I know that there are companies, they have budgets for it, they have training, but I don't know that they take it as seriously as, as they do in athletics. What's your experience? Well, I disagree with you. Just down you do? in the, um, they're, they're required. The, the CEOs, the leadership of every company is required to spend about an hour a day during their day in meditation and just thinking. Where, where is that? Down in Japan, in oh. China. So, you know, in Asia, because they understand the benefits of that quiet time, you know, sometimes we've got to slow down to speed up. Uh, and, you know, they always said no plan is a plan to fail. So really, uh, the majority of success comes in the planning and preparation. Then it's the execution of the plan. And so no different than sports. If you don't have a good game plan, um, you're not going to beat the other team. And if you have a good game plan, but you don't execute on the game plan, you're going to lose. So it's that combination of planning, which I believe is about 65% should be in that planning and preparation. Well, Sun Tzu said, uh, said something pretty similar that, that it's pretty close. To eating. I don't remember the number 65%, but I'll tell you what, uh, you read his stuff and, and all you realize is that planning is everything. Right. So I have to agree. Do you think, though, uh, the Asian countries uh, do a good job of having the meditation and the other, the, the quiet time that you're talking about? Do you think we do a good job of it in the United States? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I was just watching uh, 60 Minutes, and it was a story about a guy who really had no edu formal education whatsoever. But he got upset with what was going on with the environment and water, etc. And he took 15 years off just to think. 15 years every single day just to think. 15 years? What, 15 years. And what he created was a system to purify water that's going to, that is able to take um, sugar out of leaves in this, in this fashion where it couldn't be done before, which has all kinds of benefits. And they showed it to some of the top scientists, some of the top people in the world, um, former secretary of states. Uh, we're on, on this program, some of the top minds, and they said, this guy is an absolute genius. He's a modern-day Thomas Edison, and he has no formal background. But he just set, he had so, so many years to just think about it. And you hear stories like this all the time of people that have used their mind um, in order to come up with solutions. Uh, 
you know, uh, I think there was a famous, the famous story of um, the pilot that was shot down in Vietnam. And, you know, he played Pebble Beach in his mind every day, you know, while he was in the Hanoi Hilton. And he'd never played it before, but he visualized it. When he got out three weeks after he got out, he was one of the last people out. Um, he went in and shot Pebble Beach and shot scratch golf, which he'd never had. So, you know, I, I think, you know, most success is mental. I think I think it's entirely possible to think your way to success, that you think your way to, uh, you know, you think through issues, you think your way. And I, I think it's entirely possible. I'm fully in agreement with it. Well, if you, you know, since you believe it, then you'll see it, you know, uh, think and you, sh- and you shall become, you know. So I, you know, I, I just, it's one of those things that I believe in. I believe in the affirmations. I don't think there's a lot of happenstance. Um, it was interesting because I was just trying to look for somebody to do a new video for me. And I, I was getting frustrated and I was looking around, I was getting kind of roadblocks. And all of a sudden yesterday morning, I said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to let it happen. I'm going to attract it. And I know the right person is going to show up and, Last night I was speaking to a friend of mine and he said, you need to call this guy. He said, let me introduce you to him. And I said, are you kidding me? He did my video nine years ago and I called him up and he's now doing the Atlanta Braves. He's doing the University of Central Florida. And he picked up the phone. He's like, I haven't heard from you forever. And he's right here in my backyard. And now I know I'm, I feel comfortable because I know I'm going to get what I need done. So I think, you know, a lot of times is when you're sending that positive message out to the ether, you're, you're focused, you know, when you, when you're it, you're it. You know, when, when things go bad, they just come in spades. And when you're on a roll, you know, you're on a roll. And a lot of that. Happens- uh, so, you know, I mean, I mean, listen, I, I, I line up with a lot of this stuff, too. But, you know, we're not talking about ethereal, uh, magical kind of stuff. And we're talking about hardcore business leadership, finance. We're talking about real issues. So how do you put some uh, parameters around these kinds of uh, ideas so that they become tangible and real and that people can implement them with some regularity. Because I, I also, like you, I happen to believe that uh, if you put it out there, it comes back to you. But what exactly does that mean? Help people understand what putting it out there means and what do they need to do? Well, first of all, I'm gonna, if I'm going to put a project together for my team, I'm going to put out what the goals of the project. And like Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Here's what I want my outcome to be. And then I'm going to let them get into a room and figure out what's the best way that they can arrive at that goal or objective. Let them put that together. And I'll simply step back and monitor the case, make sure that they're still staying on target, still staying focused on the objective. And we do that with morning huddles three times a week where we're, I'm just checking in, let them know where I'm at with everything and, and letting them know. So uh, where they're at. So again, it, it becomes autonomous until um, it's kind of like taking a kid and the first thing I'm doing is kind of letting them in the water, you know, with a life jacket on, and then I'm going to throw them off the diving board, but I still have a little bit of a, a, a leash on so they're not, they know they're not going to drown because if they know that, then they start to build up that confidence. And the more confident they become in making those decisions, the more autonomous they become and the more self things? What are things that leaders can do? to help build up their teams, help them feel good about themselves, and, and ultimately develop more leaders, which, is, which really is, is your whole thing, is that leadership is, is not about followers, it's not about leading, it's about developing uh, you know, future leaders, right? Yeah, I mean, first thing you got to do is you got to give them a task to do, okay? Give them the parameters of that task and what you um, are expecting. 
And then you got to check, check in with them, check back, I call it. Um, and it's not check up because we know if someone's standing behind your back, how many mistakes you're going to make. You're going to make tons of mistakes, even if you're the best worker on the planet. So I want to get out of their way because I used to be the type of a leader that would give you a task to do. Ten seconds later, I'd come in and give you another task to do. I would drive you insane. And we all get in the zone or the flow, you know, when you're cranking out work. And we all know if someone interrupts you, they kind of break your pattern. It's almost like a record album. There's a little scratch and it jumps over. You know, it's no different. You're driving your car and someone comes down the road and all of a sudden cuts you off and you, you lose your, your focus, what you were thinking about. You know, someone says, wasn't that important? So it's really important. One is to get out of the way. Because if you don't get out of the way, you're never going to develop any leaders. You're going to be micromanaging. So the first thing I do is get out of the way and then check back with them. Now, once they've completed that task, they've hit that goal, then it's praise like a puppy. I mean, because people need love, appreciation, respect, like the food they eat, the air they breathe, the water they drink. And I tell everybody what a great job they did. You know why? Because everybody wants me saying what a great job they did too. Everybody wants what they can't have. And it starts to get contagious. And I use something called symbolic focus. And I learned this from all the sports teams I've ever worked with. They all have a symbol, something that they could rally around. With the Miami Heat, what they gave me was this. This is a replica of their trophy that they created for themselves. And it says all in and then together, trust and tough. And everybody signed it. And there's also 16 notches on the side of the trophy here. So you can see 16 notches there. Yeah, it's awesome. And for each notch, every time they won a game, they would put another notch in the trophy. See, because the year before they had lost in game six. They thought they were great, but they weren't playing together as a team. They were playing together. They were playing as all individuals. And that's why they lost. There was no leadership. Everybody was selfish. And you can't have a whole bunch of people on team selfish. There was one direction and nobody bought so what, it. So what did, that, what did that symbol thing do for them? What, what, what did it do? How did it help? What it did was any kind of symbol people rally around. It's like a trophy. It's an award. It's something they want, whether it's the – uh, the Lombardi Trophy, whether it's this, whether it's a, a goal that they want to have. Um, and what it is, it's that symbolic focus that people can focus on, something that they want. Um, in fact, uh, right before the Saints game, New Orleans Saints game this week, um, Peyton, the coach, went and brought the Lombardi Trophy into the locker room under guard so they could see it and get, you know, get acclimated to see what they're fighting for because that's what everybody wants. Well, because they had the they had lost before, they weren't going to allow themselves to celebrate until they had 16 notches in the trophy, which meant they won the championship because they had to win 16 games in order to get there. Once they had won the championship, the story of the trophy came out that they had rallied around. And that's exactly what they did to have that focus. And they learned that from Pat Riley, who did the same thing years before with Shaquille O'Neal. And he had pictures of all their family because everybody was against them. They kind of was like us against the world. That's a pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome story. I mean, I, I love that. Again, it's, you know, athletes and, and uh, professional sports franchises do a great job. So what, are, what, can, what can business people do that's parallel? 
So here's exactly what business people can do. At Neutrona Networks, when I started with them, the owner of the company came to me and he had seen my book, My Team Sucked, 10 Rules of Tournament of Rockstars. And he called me and said, Rick, my team sucks. I need to meet you at Houston's restaurant on Monday. And what I recognized that, one, it wasn't him, it wasn't his team, but he is playing a big role as leaders do. And he didn't have that self-awareness. So you got to work with the top. And the first thing I said is, what you guys need is a newsletter. He said, why do we need a newsletter? I said, well, one day it's going to be a refrigerator store. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, have you ever gone bowling or your child makes a picture? What do you do? You, that, you put that score on the refrigerator. Everybody's proud of it. It's a refrigerator score. He said, you know what are you talking about? I said, I'm telling you, it will, because everybody wants to see themselves in print or on TV. And if you've ever been in a newspaper or you've ever been on TV, everybody likes to look at themselves. And if they're the members of the team, we're talking about them, they're going to want to take it home. They're going to be proud of themselves. Well, that newsletter started off with one newsletter, one page, two sides. Three years later, that newsletter is 10 pages long. And it documents a complete history of the growth of this company. It has pictures of their children in there. It's got pictures of their clients in there. It's got pictures of their awards all the way up to the point where they just got a deal with Microsoft and Amazon to bring the cloud to Latin America. So that is their symbolic focus that people can be proud of. And that could be duplicated all over. When I worked with Lennox International, they had the same thing and they had an award called it's the whatever it takes award. So that whatever it takes award turned into their magazine, which started at two to three pages, which is now a 40 page quarterly magazine that comes out. So any company can set up a symbolic focus just like that in order to accomplish goals and objectives of their team and also get people behind them. What you're trying to do is create a family. Yeah, and you know, I mean, this, this resonates for me because uh, I talk about uh, creating what I always call an organizational bullseye and a bullseye for a company is where all the employees, all the people on the, on the team are looking at the same dot on the wall. And, and I've got a couple exercises that I do that really help people see what happens when you're looking at the dot, when you're not looking at the dot and how very valuable that is. And in a certain way, when I'm hearing this uh, symbolic a thing you're talking about is really it's a dot on the wall that everybody can look at together. It's kind right. of a similar it could concept. Be anything. I mean, um, at Lennox International's annual sales meeting, they have a trophy that's called the Whatever It Takes Award, and they give that uh, to whoever's kind of done a you know great job that year, the the best player. So you know we think about these things, and and we may think that they're trivial, um, but they mean so much to people because again, everybody wants love, appreciation, respect. So, and everybody wants to see themselves. So the more things that we can do to engage people, to make them feel like they are part of everything and they're not working for us, but they're working with us. And the best way to do that is develop them as leaders. Let them be their own leaders. Give us, uh, give us we're, we're kind of getting ready to wind down. So give us a couple more insights. You know, what are some things that some of the best leaders do? What's, what's the inside track on the best leadership? How do people profit from the inside, the insights, the information that you have? And how do they take it home and make their business better? Well, I think the first thing that they can do is, is look at their business and decide, is their business a, a customer service related business or a sales related business is, is the first place to start. 
Um, you know, is a, a, and, and that's going to play a role in one, what's going to be the focus. You know, everybody is uh, competing today at a high level and good enough is just mediocre these days. So the goal is really to be more customer-centric focus. And what I, what I talk about is how the leaders, how the salespeople are making the promise, but operations has got to deliver on the promise. Yeah. No different than, than any business there. So the breakdown in that whole equation is communication. So the first thing is making sure that everything is communicated amongst every single department in every organization because the biggest breakdown is when different departments start to act as if they are a separate entity unto themselves. So the thing that the leader can do is have regular communications in person, engaging with the whole team as a whole on a regular basis, even if it's once every two weeks, because once every week is probably a little bit too much, but it's a 15 or 20 minute in the morning letting people know state of the state so that everybody's on the same page and opening up for questions. Again, the more people engage, more leaders engage with their team, the better up they're going to be. I had a, my vice president of sales, I asked him, you know, how one of our employees engagement plans was going. He's like, well, you know, she should just know what to do. And I said, would you treat your daughters like that? You know, or would you just would you make sure that your daughters had all the tools that they need to succeed? Would you be there making sure they knew where to go, what to say? It's like, well, why would you treat them any differently? And sometimes we we look at some of the younger people and think, well, you know, they're privileged and this and that. No, I treat them as if they're my children. I want them to succeed because if they succeed, I succeed also. That's the part that everybody's got to remember is when they succeed, you succeed. And when you succeed, they succeed. And is that everybody's got to be on the same side of the table. That's true for comp plans, for negotiating strategies, business strategies, marketing strategies. I mean, everything that you do, everybody's got to win or it's not a really good arrangement. Here's the problem. Most leaders don't say it. You have to say it. It's got to be a mantra. You know, one of the reasons that I'm so successful in my executive coaching is everybody tells me everything even if they're not telling the leaders because they know all I want to see is everybody win. And once they recognize that I'm able to work behind the scenes to help negotiate and make these things a win and get people to see, you know, the different side of things and, and maybe they're not self-aware, but until I can earn that right by having them really see that, you know, I just want everybody to win that I've got no alternative, uh, you know, agenda it won't work. And I think it's the same way with leaders. If they just put it out there, they're real. um, And they explain, Hey, I want to see you win. What tools do you need in order to get your job done? And they help provide those tools and then focus on building the business. It's a win-win. I love that. I love that you bring up the word mantra. I love mantras. Give us a couple of examples of some great mantras that you've seen companies uh, employ. Do Do you have a couple of examples? Because I'm thinking about a couple things that I say at my company all day long, all the time. Well, what, what got us here won't get us there is a, is a favorite of uh, our Argentinians. Um, you know, from for my, you know, I, I always say that we have, we don't have customers, we have clients. Because clients stand for care, protection, and guidance. We want to care for them, protect them, and guide them to the best solutions. 
Isn't that what they want? Because the customer is a, a one-off transaction. They give you money, you give them product. So do you uh, find that do these successful CEOs or successful leaders, do they repeat these mantras over and over everywhere they go and get people really focused on them? I think that they, they should, and I, I know the teams that I work with, they'll have them on the walls in business. They'll have them all over. You know, uh, years ago, they used to have the, the successories and stuff like that with the different sayings, and um, we've got them everywhere now, you know, at all, our, all of our offices, you know, because those little things do make a difference. It's what you see all the time. Um, you, you see it in the in, in all the armed forces they have it around. You go to all the sports teams, the Yankees in their locker rooms, all over the place. The Dodgers, I'm sure, inside you know their locker rooms that they've got some of those old sayings there, or the the mantras of old of, from in the old Brooklyn and LA Dodger championship teams. No so, doubt about it. You know, so if you know again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel; it's already been invented. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I say to my teams all the time is that everybody sells. Everybody sells. And you're either selling or anti-selling. And if you're anti-selling, uh, that means that you're repelling customers away. And, and that goes from the janitor all the way to the top level in the executive suite. And, you know, in my experience, everybody has to have a sales customer-facing attitude. I don't care who you are, what you do. But even a, a rude janitor can turn people off and lose you customers. So that person, by being nice and courteous, uh, is helping in the sales effort of the company. And so everybody really has to have a selling attitude. They don't all close business and they're not all looking for money, but they're all contributing to the effort. And I always encapsulate that by saying everybody sells. And I say it all the time and everybody who knows me knows that. It just is uh, it's something that happens all the time. So I love this conversation. I think it's awesome. I used to say you have to sell your spouse, significant other, or why you should do this, your kids. So we're all salespeople. It's, you know, it, it, it all boils down to selling. Down. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was just at the Breakers Hotel giving a keynote speech, I mean, even the, the guys that parked the car were incredible. The customer service, it was just over the top. And that comes from a culture. You've got to build it absolutely does. Absolutely. They, didn't, they don't show up that way by themselves. In fact, if those same people went and work at another company, they might be different. Completely. You know, again, it's that good feel. You know, you're going to perform at the highest level. You know, again, in sports, you know, you see a great team play against a terrible team. They usually have, you know, a terrible game. They don't play that good, but then they play against a team, you know, that's equivalent or maybe a little better and they play – their best game because you, you play, you know, up or down to that competition. Yeah. In most times. So it's again, creating that environment, looking at the modeling. And again, you could always use uh, those analogies because people can relate to them a lot of times, but then you have to look for other analogies um, when you're communicating to the team, because people don't always see what you're trying to convey. But if you can then use an object like this, they get that aha moment. Um, yeah, and I listen, this, is, this, has been, this has been an awesome discussion. I love this. Tell us just a little bit about your uh, upcoming book, and then we have to wind down. Well, my new book, The Solutions-Oriented Leader, Your Comprehensive Guide to Achieve World-Class Results. Um, Brian Tracy said that it's a fast-moving book loaded with great ideas that you can use immediately to set better goals, get more done, increase your income rapidly, and feel terrific about yourself. And it, it covers everything from A to Z, from um, – attitude and, and your leadership epitaph to how to hire on a budget to creating a culture uh, that's going to be productive to how to communicate with uh, employees across all generations 
dealing with conflict and rewarding and celebration and, and hitting your goals. So uh, it's really A to Z, but it's a it's a guide. So you can open it up and if you say, well, I've got a problem with, you know, uh, you know, engaging with my employees. Here's five things that you can do right now to engage at a higher level. I love those kind of books. Well, listen, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you being with us and for sharing your insights. It's been awesome. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me. Listen, be well and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.